outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 61. Today in the show, Dan and I are discussing a topic that all hunters love debating, the timing of the rut. So here we go. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, brought to you by Sika Gear. Now, today on the show, Dan and I are diving into a topic that mostly all deer hunters love to discuss, debate, and dream about, and that's the rut. And specifically, we'll be discussing the timing of the rut and the theories around how we might be able to predict when the rut will occur. But before we get to all of that, we've got to fill our weekly quota for BSing. So, Dan, what is new? Right now... I am sitting in a dirty motel on the south side of Philadelphia near the airport waiting to take off uh, right and early tomorrow morning to head back to Iowa. I've been in I've been in Philadelphia or like a suburb of Philadelphia for work the entire week and I'm not going to I'm not going to hate on big cities and large populations in the east coast because I know I know a lot of guys from Pennsylvania, although they're from the west side of the state. But I am very thankful that I live in a small town in Iowa. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I couldn't do it. I lived in I lived in Manhattan for a summer, and that yeah. was all I could handle. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I only have to come out here a little and just get small doses of it. I'll be honest with you. When I was at work, everybody was real nice. But when you're out in public, I don't think I heard please or thank you. Yeah? I'm just like, that blows my mind. Anyway, you know, I'm just ready to get back. And in like a couple more weeks, I'm going to check my trail cameras again. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I hear you. I, I came like so super close to buying one of those um, wireless cellular trail cameras. Oh yeah, and trying to convince one of my buddies to drive down and set it up so I could start getting trail camera <laughs> pictures from Ohio because I'm just dying so bad to see what's down there. But I don't think I've been able to convince my friends yet to go down there. So, well, I tell you what, man, those things 
I can understand if they'd work good in a well, like a, a an area with good cell phone reception. But where I hunt, I tried one of those and had poor cell phone service, so they don't really work. That would suck to spend 500 bucks on that and then not have it work. <laughs> right, right. Plus the monthly fee it. for data or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's a flat fee of like 10,000 images for 40 bucks. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think it's worth it. Well, I mean, it could be worth it if you had good cell phone reception. I don't, so it's not worth it. Yeah. I still might do it. If if, if I get someone that's going down there, I might try to buy one and send it down just because I'm just dying to see what's happening down there and stuck up here not knowing anything, not in Michigan, not in Ohio, not in Iowa. So if I could get some kind of eyes on the ground, that would be nice. But we'll see. But uh, no complaints. Things are good up here for me, too. I definitely like being away from the big city. I know you're glad to be out of there soon. Um, I'm almost, I am almost was recording remotely just like you too. I just got back from northern Montana like 10 minutes ago. So What, uh, what were you doing up there? We were in Glacier National Park. Um, my in-laws were in town the last like week and a half, and so we were in Grand Teton and Yellowstone and then Glacier, and we kind of – toured them around, showed them different places and hiked and fished and did all sorts of stuff. So yeah, glaciers is on my bucket list. You got to go there. It's, it's awesome. It's incredible. We saw, what do we see? Well, a black bear and glacier, some moose Yellowstone. I saw grizzly, two black bears and thousands of Buffalo. And in grand Teton, we see moose all the time. So lots of wildlife and gorgeous gorgeous scenery and tons of stuff to do and i've got good news dan what's that i finally figured out how to fly fish well well yeah you're gonna have to teach me then yeah it's uh i came out here you know, i fly fished maybe 10 years ago back in high school a little bit and um i knew coming out here this summer i needed to pick it back up because it's great fly fishing out here and for the first couple of weeks i f- <laughs> failed miserably i'd go out there for like six hours and not catch a thing and I'd go to the fly shop and talk to him and try to figure out what I'm doing wrong and couldn't figure it out. So finally, like, I don't know, three weeks ago I caught one, and then last week I caught two once, and then finally a couple days ago I finally hit it. I, I landed 10, including a nice, like, 17-inch cutthroat, which is, a, I think, a, it was a, my biggest fish with a fly rod, and that was sweet. And had a bunch of other fish hit and broke off, but it was sweet. So I'm stoked about that, figuring out how to do that, catch some fish, and... uh Life's not too bad out here, so that's... Are that's you going to a... start smoking a pipe? <laughs> you know, I if just I... feel that, fly, like, fly fishermen, you know, I can just see you turning to that, like, if you're a fly fisherman, you're, like, in this own category. You're, it's like you're kind of a hipster, but not really a hipster. You're wearing, like, red and black flannel <laughs> uh-huh. with the waders, smoking a pipe with um... one of those uh, hats with all the lures hanging off of it. <laughs> I don't. I'm not doing the floppy hat, but I got the flannel and I got uh, everything else except for the pipe, I guess. So I'm okay. maybe halfway there. But by the end of the summer, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> Two months is a long time. You never know. I could come back a totally different, very strange person. <laughs> <laughs> but whitetails. Whitetails. We're, we're here to talk about whitetails. I've got. A DVD sitting next to me right now that as soon as we get off this call, I'm going to drink a beer and eat a pizza and watch some horn porn and dream about hunting deer. That's my plan nice. for tonight. 
So nice. I'm jealous. I'm gonna watch some crappy HBO movie probably, or just go straight to bed. Yeah, don't blame you. Um, or you might dream about the rut, which is what many deer hunters are doing all year, thinking about the rut and that crazy time of year, which is exactly what I wanted us to talk about today. Um, you know, I know that you know this, and probably everyone listening, but the timing of the rut, when the rut happens, is like one of the biggest questions people have every single year. We always want to know when's the rut going to peak or during the hunting season. We're always wondering, you know, did you see any sign of the rut yet? Are they chasing does yet? Are you hearing anything happening? Are they grunting? Are they fighting? We always want to know what's going on, trying to, you know, try to get that timing perfect to be out there when it goes crazy because when you get those magical days where the rut is just on, it's it's just that it's magical there's nothing like it as far as i'm concerned i mean that's what we dream about and um it's hard to come by though it's something that we see on tv or we think about we occasionally hear about it but we we don't often at least i don't often see that perfect rut day but it's that elusive thing that we're always trying to find so today dan i want to talk about how we might be able to figure out when that peak rut might be if we can at all and um you know what the different theories about that are so i don't know what do you uh have you ever really had one of those magical rut days? Yeah, I'll be honest. I've had a couple over the years. Um, you know, it's and and I guess by definition, one of those magical days would be. Uh, the, what, this is what I think. There's two scenarios. There's one where, you, you know, you're sitting all day, you're sitting in the morning, or you're sitting in a in the evening, and a hot doe comes by, and there's like twelve bucks that end up coming through that day or there's a you're in a pinch point and there may not be a hot doe come through but they're cruising real heavy that day and and like my perfect the best day i ever had was this doe one morning came sprinting out of nowhere just right through the crp field right by my stand and then just jumped and went into this thick bedding area and I think that day I saw 14 different bucks and each one of them came by my stand and the biggest one, he was out of range, but the, it was just like all day long that scent was in the air and deer were coming in and out of this little, this draw that I was in and it was just perfect. It was perfect. What do you remember what the date was? It was probably, I want to say November 3rd or 4th that year. Okay. Um, and I've experienced a lot of ruts, man. I mean, from, I remember watching 170 inch deer through my binoculars breed a doe on October 24th. And then I've also remember rattling in a buck on November like 27th. So that huge range, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely an important thing. I think to note, when it comes to the rut is it's not just, it doesn't just happen. Like it's not like guaranteed to happen between these three days and all the rutting activity happens between those days. No, it's, it's a long drawn out process with valleys and peaks where it rises and falls. And then there's going to be a period of time where there's going to be a burst of rutting activity. And then you might not see anything. And like you said, you might see rutting activity quote unquote in October you might see at the end of November, you might see the beginning of December. I think that's a big reason why this idea of the timing of the rut is so confusing for people because sometimes we're talking about two different things. 
we're talking about running activity, like what you just said, like a, a doe being chased or bucks being rattled in, that might be what we would call rutting activity. And then there's the more scientific definition of the rut, which would be the peak of breeding. So when the actual mating is happening. And that causes a lot of confusion when people are talking about, you know, when a biologist is talking about the peak of the rut versus when hunters might be talking about the peak of the rut. It's usually two different things. Lots of times the biologist is talking when the actual breeding is happening, while the hunters, when we talk about oh, when one's the peak of the rut, we really want to know when's the peak of daylight movement that hunters are actually right. going to see, which translates into hunting success. And those are typically two different times of the year, too, by a small portion of time. So what I thought, Dan, we could do today is is just dive into this. And as we kind of go through, I want to talk through you know the, the two main theories around the timing of the rut. And then I thought we could look back at some of our own previous experiences and compare those to some of these different theories and see if they line up or match up or what we can take from that. Talk about the actual predictions for this year, 2015, and see how you or me might be planning our rut plans or vacations around that. And then finally talk through some different other factors that might be impacting the timing or intensity of rut activity. So, so hopefully for everyone listening, by the end of today, you're going to have a really good understanding of what impacts the timing of the rut how that will impact how you should hunt and plan your hunts and you know what all these different theories mean, how we can do them, and how they should impact what we do as hunters. So that's the game plan, Dan. Does that sound, uh, sound good? Take it away. All right. So I thought to kick things off, we would talk through the two most popular theories. Excuse me. <clears throat> the two most popular theories about the timing of the rut. And... First and foremost, the, the traditional notion by biologists is that the peak of the rut is consistent year in and year out, at least in the northern to middle of the country. So above the Mason-Dixon line, the timing of the rut is relatively consistent year in and year out. And they've, they've done this by like taking a look at um, fetal measurements. So by taking a look at dead does, whether it's road kill or hunter killed, and they measure the length of the fetus, so the baby deer that's growing inside of a female doe. Um, they measure that length, and based on that, they can determine the date it was conceived. So they can actually get accurate dates for when that breeding had happened. And then they look at that, map it all out, and consistently year after year after year in Missouri, Michigan, across the north, midwest, middle of the country, all through that, it's very consistent in the form of a bell curve. So everyone, I think, is familiar with the bell curve. It shows the majority is going to be high in the middle. You've got like a line that starts low. It rises up to the middle and then drops back down again. And so that peak is almost always in the middle of November in that area of the country. And so the peak breeding, according to all these many different studies that have been confirmed over and over again, the peak date for breeding is usually around November 15th, give or take. And then there's, of course, you know, outliers. There's going to be some earlier, there's going to be some later, but usually that's when the most breeding is happening. So this though goes back to, you know, what we just mentioned a couple minutes ago, the fact that that's breeding, peak breeding, but that might not necessarily coincide with the peak daylight activity that hunters want to see. Because as you and I know, and many hunters know, when the breeding is actually happening, lots of times that's something we call the lockdown phase when you're not seeing as many deer actually because a buck might herd a doe into a thick bedding cover, stand there with her for half a day or something, and then you're not going to see them unless you're in that thick cover with them. So 
this could confuse some people because they're saying, I'm not seeing tons of running activity around the middle of November. I'm seeing it early in November or I'm seeing it at different times. Um, but scientists consistently have said, the biologists consistently, the people that are way smarter than me, have reaffirmed this to me over and over again. And it's, there's lots of literature and published studies that that's the peak breeding and it's not related to the moon phase, according to these studies. There was, um, I actually saw something that the QDMA had published. I'm going to pull it up right now because um, it's pretty interesting. Um, that shows there's no link between moon phase and the peak of rut. And basically what they did is they they took a look at the percent of does bred per week. And so basically what we just talked about there, Dan, is showcasing you know, when the actual breeding happened. And then they m- mapped the date of the full moons on that kind of that axis and the peak breeding always happened the same time in this case it was a little bit later in november but the moon phase was different all the time but the breeding was all still the same so that was another piece of evidence showing that moon which many people think might affect the time of the rut maybe doesn't so that's the popular biologist theory that you're going to get if you talk to anyone that works with a wild you know, fish and game agency. If you talk to anyone who is a biologist, most anyone who's a biologist, if you talk to someone from the quality of deer management association, etc., that is the most popular theory on the timing of the rut that you're going to get peak breeding around the middle November. And that that also means that the rutting activity that we like to see the, the chasing and the seeking and cruising, all that kind of stuff, that's going to happen in the preceding days or weeks. So that's rut timing theory. Number one, any questions on that one, Dan? That's something you're familiar with, right? Right. So I just want to, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll let you tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm right, but what causes a doe to go in heat is the amount of sunlight in a day, correct? Yes. That's what, that's what causes it. So, so based on that, the, the earth travels around the sun in pretty much the same exact motion every year. And because that uh, circumference is way larger than the circumference around the moon around the Earth, the moon is going to be at different stages at different times of every month, almost every year. You know, you got your full moon can be on any day, any day. But the, the sunlight is going to be exactly the same for the most part, on in November to trigger that, that breeding cycle every year at the same time. Yeah, thanks for bringing give, that you up. You know, give or take, give or take. Yep, yep, and you're exactly right. It's that, it's the amount of daylight. It impacts, it's called, it's the photo period. So the photo period is essentially the amount of daylight, and that impacts rising and falling hormone levels in deer. And so that, as you come into that November time period, it triggers exactly like you said. It then triggers these rutting behaviors and eventually esters for does. Um, and like you said, that's consistent year in and year out. While moon phase is different at different times of the year, at different times of the month, etc. So, I'll read something here real quick from Lindsay Thomas Jr. of the Quality Deer Management Association on this topic, and I think it very succinctly explains what I think I said there and kind of rambled on. He says the science on this is decisive. A significant number of scientific peer-reviewed studies have shown the timing of the rut in any particular location is triggered by photoperiod, or day length, not the moon or temperature or anything else. 
I think hunters often confuse visible rut behaviors like chasing and grunting with a peak of breeding. But when you document breeding dates in a location, they actually change very little year to year, even though the dates of peak rut behaviors may vary. That's because weather, moon phase, and food sources, things that fluctuate widely year to year, affect deer movement patterns. But even when the weather reduces deer movement, you find that breeding still takes place the same time it normally does. If a doe is coming into estrus, a warm front isn't going to change that. And, end quote. And I think what, you know, what he's saying there is lots of times weather or different factors, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, these different factors might make us think that the rut isn't happening. But if the does are in estrus, they're going to be bred. It just might be yeah. happening more in thick cover, or it might be happening after dark. It just might be happening in ways and times that we can't see it. Um, but according to this you know, widely held theory, it's going to be happening relatively consistently year in and year out. So fact, fact. So that's theory number one. Do you want to uh, move on to theory number two, or is there anything else you want to add on that before we start debating these? So, so who, which theory is that? What's the name of that theory that we just discussed? Yeah, there isn't even like a. I wouldn't even say there's a name. I would just say that's that's the that's the uh, the popular the consensus, the scientific biologist stamp of approval theory. Um, gotcha. The second theory has been popularized by a, a somewhat rogue element. Mostly, this is another biologist, Wayne LaRoche and Charles Elsheimer from Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine have been popularizing a theory over the last decade or so through that magazine, um, where they've used the, the results of a study they've been doing for almost 20 years or maybe over 20 years now that shows or that indicates maybe that there's something else that might affect the timing of the rut. And this is kind of people call it the Alzheimer theory or the Wayne LaRoche, Charles Alzheimer theory, whatever. But this is one where every year they've got a different prediction for when the peak of running activity will be. And so everyone gets pretty excited about this, wants to look at that, takes a look at those dates, etc. So I will read here the kind of official definition of this theory which is in the Deer and Deer Hunting 2015 rut calendar, um, where they include this information about the rut predictions, and then they've got, I've got a digital version of it, you get a print version of it too, and it actually shows, you know, during those months of the rut, it kind of gives you a little symbol on each day indicating when they believe that the peak of um, chasing and seeking and breeding and tending and all that stuff will actually happen. So if you're a believer in this theory, that's kind of a cool little product. And that's what I'm looking at right now to, to explain this. So here's what they say. The rut predictor is based on a model that links cyclical changes in the Earth's solar and lunar illumination to the whitetail's reproductive cycle. LaRoche and Elsheimer hypothesize that sunlight and moonlight provide environmental cues that set, trigger, and synchronize breeding. LaRoche developed a computer model that uses astronomical data, field observations of rutting activities, and measurements of light intensity to predict rut activity. The rut predictor hypothesis differs from conventional views. The general belief is that peak breeding north of the Mason-Dixon line occurs each year about November 15th. However, after many observations of early November rut behavior in Vermont and Maine, LaRoche concluded that rut activity often fell to nearly zero by mid-November. He also found the timing of peak rut activity could vary year to year by as much as three weeks at any given location. So that's a little bit about their theory and basically how they come up with the date of peak breeding. They're kind of um, 
uh, what's the right word for this? I, I don't know. This is the way they kind of get their predictions every year is they look at the second full moon after. Yeah, let me make sure I get this right. Yeah, the second full moon after the autumn equinox, they believe, is triggering the peak in rutting activity. They call that moon the rutting moon. So every year, they take a look at that second full moon after the autumn equinox, and then they are able to predict when they think rutting is going to happen because they believe that after that kind of rutting moon, that's when seeking and chasing starts picking up, and then a week, two weeks after that is when peak breeding typically occurs. So that said that full moon, you know, is different every year. So some years it's in October, some years it's in November, and this causes all sorts of funky things in the predictions. So this is the one that gets people all fired up. I, um, you've seen it, Dan, every year on Wired to Hunt, I share those predictions from Elsheimer, and I share the information about the more traditional theory and my own thoughts and things like that. And every year I get biologists email, not every year, but I've had several years where email where biologists have emailed me angrily saying that, you know, we shouldn't you know, be popularizing this theory that Elsheimer LaRoche have because it's completely unwarranted by science. It's not backed up. It's poppycock, et cetera, et cetera. But people swear by it. And there's these, you know, observations that these guys are having that they claim show some indications that th this stuff lines up and that the moon actually does have an impact. So it's quite the debate. I've heard all sorts of different takes on it. I think one of the key things for me when they, you know, when I'm reading that kind of more detailed um, explanation of their theory is that they talk about running activity. Right. They're predicting running activity. They don't specifically say rut or they don't specifically say peak breeding. So sometimes I wonder if we're talking about the timing of two different things. Um, I agree. So, so yeah, so those, there's the two theories. There's the two things that people are looking at. Um, so I got a couple things we could do, Dan. We could, you know, well, what do you think about this? The rut predictions for each year. I don't know how much you pay attention to this, but I typically try to every year, you know, at the end of the season, look back at the past rut, and I like to look back at the, the rut timing predictions and say, okay, did what I actually saw line up in any way with the predictions? Is that Do you ever look back at that, Dan? I, I do a little bit. I do, I do a little bit. And last year... Um, I believe was was last year a late rut based off Alzheimer's. So actually, no. Last year no. was a was a pretty normal one. the The rutting moon last year fell on November sixth. So, okay. based on that, they predicted that the majority of seeking behavior would pick up around October thirtieth and would continue until around November 6th, and then we'd start seeing more chasing, and this would continue on until around the middle of November when the tending phase would begin. This seemed like you know, that was a, a typical kind of, that's what I think of as your usual rut timing, um, and that's what they predicted last year. So what did you see? Did that line up with that? Yeah, you know, I, I tell you, there was, in the early part, the first week we saw, um, you know, your young bucks out cruising. And as that week progressed, the first week, the first, um, I would say, from November 3rd until uh, the 8th, with the 6th and 7th being the highest amount of movement that we saw, and then kind of it, tri it trickled off again, um, but still seeing movement, um, I would say that the, the, the peak fell right in line with that date. 
Yeah. I, you know, I look at my observations. Um, I definitely did see, you know, an increase in cruising behavior in that middle of November. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I shot my buck November 6th and I was hunting with my buddy Josh the next day and we saw multiple cruising bucks and the next day another friend of mine had a cruising buck that he got a shot at so I mean based on some and actually the day before that another or several days before that another buddy of mine did so I mean anecdotally it did seem like that definitely was the case um that that was picking up but I think an important thing to take note of for for you and for me and for anyone listening is right every year when we do this we think back okay what did we see and then we make a judgment based on just what we personally saw on you know these theories so if i if i kill a buck on november 6th i'm gonna say yep he was perfectly right because that's exactly when i saw my buck um but i can't remember who said this and maybe it was someone on the podcast maybe not but someone talked about being fooled by randomness Mm -hmm. and the idea of that you know when we experience something ourselves once or twice it might be completely random it's not necessarily indicative of a pattern but when we personally experience it we tend to generalize that as a larger thing. So because we saw it ourselves once or twice, we believe that's a larger um, occurrence. And it might have been random. We might have been fooled by randomness, but very uh, rarely do we ever take that into account. And so lots of times, you know, just because I saw a buck on November November 6th, and I'm going to say, yep, the predictions were right. Well, who knows what the other, you know, 10 million deer hunters saw during that period of time. You know, my sample size is really small. So... It's hard to really look at our own personal view or our own personal experiences and really get a good idea, but it's it's still interesting. So right, and I just I remember last year there was we had a really in my opinion was a, a normal a good rut, nothing crazy and nothing poor about it. Now I remember the previous year, everybody was saying, "Oh my God, what a horrible, what a horrible rut." Now I I guess these kind of things don't make sense to me because I like to have numbers and science based, you know, make my decisions for me. And I saw the same deer movement two years ago that I did this, this past year. And I, I don't, I wouldn't say it was the best rut I've ever seen. And I'm not going to say it was the worst rut I've ever seen, but there was deer movement and there were there was deer getting killed in the area. There was my trail cameras were were busy taking pictures, and um, I was seeing deer from the you know deer from the tree stand. So that tells me that you know there's obviously movement. And based on the scientifics, you know the scientific prediction, the it's the rut is happening. You know it. it it's it's pocketed in my opinion if there's hot does in one area that's where all the bucks are going to be there's a rut happening at your neighbor's house right or a rut party happening at your, on your neighboring property which can suck all these bucks into one area and then your property is left as a you know a desert you know it can be totally different just 100 yards away or half a mile yep. away or a county away or anything like that um, I 100% agree with that. And I think what you mentioned just a second ago, the fact that two years ago, lots of people complained about that quote-unquote bad rut or weird rut. It is interesting that that did, at least popular uh, murmurings from people, you know, lots of people were complaining about that. It did coincide with Elshammer's prediction in 2013 mm-hmm. in which he said that 
the running moon was going to fall very late that year, November 17th, which was, you know, drastically later um, than typical. Like in 2012, it was an October 29th running moon. And then last year was a November 6th. So this was, you know, 18 or 19 days later than 2012. It was 10 days later than last year. Um, and so what LaRoche and Elsheimer say is when there's this really late rutting moon, it creates something that they call a trickle rut, where there's going to be some peaks of rutting early, there's going to be some peaks of rutting later, there's going to be some funky things going on, um, and it's going to be a, a lackadaisical rut, not the kind of rutting activity that any of us would, would like to see. And so in 2013, that was the case. And I think in 2010, there was a quote-unquote trickle rut as well, according to these predictions. And I personally did kind of see a little bit less exciting rut activity during those two years. Um, but yeah. again, you know, that's just anecdotal. That's just me and in my neck of the woods. And like you said, it could be, you know, totally different one property over. So it's just really hard for any one person to draw judgment on that because it's just so location dependent and there's all these other factors that affect what we see not necessarily the breeding but that what we see and i think that is a bigger factor in hunting success than anything personally that said before we move on we need to pause briefly for a quick word from our sponsors of the wired to hunt podcast sika gear now over the past few weeks we've been getting to know who and what sika gear is all about and today I want to ask Sitka product category leader Dennis Suck about a piece of terminology I hear a lot about from Sitka, and that is the idea of a system. So here's Dennis explaining why Sitka takes a system approach to its hunting clothing. Yeah, so I mean a system, you know, we have different layers that define our systems. And, you know, it starts with that base layer system. So making sure you have something that's going to, you know, wick moisture off your skin, provide moisture management, and be able to carry it up to what that next system is. And that next part of the system is our is our mid-layer or insulation. And some of them are puffy insulations and some of them are just, you know, a real heavy, you know, non-compressible insulation. But so now that layer has to be able to take that moisture that I bring off the skin and be able to move it through it and evaporate if it needs to be. It needs to provide a thermal element, um, and it needs to provide me the versatility I need to to maybe be my hunting piece at some point in the day. And then you kind of move that outerwear system, and that outerwear system is your your most protective layer. And a lot of people, that is their clothing system. But really, those other two are really important. You know, and that outerwear is whether it's protecting you from the rain, the wind, or um, any kind of the elements, um, it's, you know, it's your last line of defense and it's the things that's stopping all the things that's coming to you or coming into you, uh, where, you know, the other pieces are about moving things away from you, your moisture and protecting you and, or maintaining that warmth, that, that microclimate we talked about and insulating your body. So those are the, you know, it's the base layer, it's the mid layer and it's the outerwear piece. And, and, you know, your system over your hunt could be combinations of all those, but base layer is one that's pretty uncompromising if you have one you do like and it's the most misunderstood that needs to at least be if it's sick or not make sure you have a wicking layer make sure it has some scent control aspect and now back to the show i i I feel that the standard with the scientific the scientific breeding season is the most steadfast piece of information that that we have the other predictions are kind of yes, they're 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 theories, right? Which have, in my opinion, a little bit less scientific backing, because 
giant bucks are getting killed every year, right? And as hunters, that's what that's what we look for as you know, as kind of a, I guess a, what's the word I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a word here that will help. Let's see. As hunters, we we kind of determine you know. I guess now it's Facebook or people killing deer at certain times a year will help us determine, you know, if the rut has been successful or not. You know, Joe Blow on one property kills a deer November 5th. He's going to say that, you know, November 5th was the best, was the best day of the year. And then a guy on uh, November 10th kills another deer. He's going to say that the 10th was when all honesty, you better be in, in a tree the first two weeks and maybe even later of November. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, so I want to, I want to pick your brain a little bit more about your overall thoughts on it. And then I'm going to give my like final opinion on what I think. What is, what is this year? This year's early though, right? That was exactly what I was going to bring up next is what the Elsheimer LaRoche predictions say for this year. The second full moon after the autumn equinox, the quote unquote running moon this year is October 27th. So, that is early. So, according to these theories, or this theory, major sinking behavior. So, again, for, for those listening that maybe aren't familiar with this terminology, these are kind of some basic categories given to deer behaviors that tend to happen in a sequential order, but not really. I mean, this stuff's happening. It's, it's varied all over the place. You might have, you know, on November 10th, you might see a buck breeding a doe. The same day, you might see a buck starting to cruise, and you might see another buck that's chasing a doe these things are happening at different times all over the place but um but for the sake of these theories and this kind of um rut prediction that elsheimer laroche are doing they've, they've categorized things in these buckets so seeking is when bucks start to do some cruising and then the next phase which should sort of be happening after that cruising behavior begins would be the chasing so that's when does are getting close enough to estrus the bucks are actually chasing them and then finally there's the tending phase which is when the actual breeding is happening. So with that terminology understood, the predictions say that major seeking behavior should pick up around October 20th, so that's super early compared to some of the other years, continue until around October 27th when major chasing should begin. And this peak in riding activity will continue around until November 3rd when the tending phase supposedly will be kicking into gear, continuing on through the 10th. So like you said, Dan, that's a lot earlier than many of the other predictions in past years have been. Um, and it's earlier than the traditional viewpoint, which, um, you know, as we've talked about, peak breeding usually happens in the middle of November with those two weeks leading up to it being when most of your seeking, chasing, et cetera, is happening. Um, yeah. So that's that's what they're saying for this year. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's hard because I don't want to believe, I don't want to believe some of this stuff because I feel that some people can get too worked up about it and and just kind of historical 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 data in my opinion is probably the best to go by with with that that first two weeks of November historically being when hunters need to take their vacation so what this what this uh, LaRoche and Alzheimer's or whatever his name is. <laughs> Elsheimer. <laughs> yeah. Whatever his, uh, those guys' predictions are, are now going to have guys going, hmm, 
should I take the first last week of October and the first week of November off work to or one or the other, you know? And then what happens is you're sitting there and maybe the weather hasn't changed yet. And then you're you're dealing with running activity outside of daylight hours still. And because, you know, as we know, even into the first week of November, it can get hot and it can get and that can shut it down. In my opinion, weather can control a rut. And these deer are just they're they're not going to move in daylight hours. Yeah, I think uh, here here's my take on all this. I think that, and again, you know, I, I share both of these theories, and I think to your point, there is a risk of that, you know, sometimes these things might send people going down a wormhole and get people confused or, you know, change their vacation dates because they follow these theories, and I can't claim to know, you know, one way or the other, but based on everything I've read and everyone I've talked to and the people that are a lot smarter than me who, you know, share research and data, I, like you, would be in the camp of, you know, the fact that the peak of breeding is consistent year in and year out based on photo photo period. So the timing, the amount of daylight in a you know in a given day, that change is consistent. And it results in peak breeding happening somewhere around mid November, give or take. And that results in those preceding weeks, the week or two or two and a half weeks before that, are usually when you're gonna see that slow and steady rise of activity in running related behaviors chasing seeking fighting etc um right. so that's what i believe but i am not completely saying i don't give any credit to the elsheimer and laroche theory in that i i don't have anything to back this up except for a little bit of anecdotal evidence and what people say but i do think maybe these predictions maybe the moon phase does impact a little bit of how much of the running behavior we see during daylight or how intense it is so I don't, right. I'm not saying it impacts the breeding at all. I think the breeding happens the same every year, year and out. Science proves that. But I'm open to the possibility that maybe the moon phase does, to some degree, impact how much of it, how much of the behaviors that we, you know, the activity that we want to see, the chasing, the daylight movement, cruising, all that. Maybe it has an impact on that. I don't know. Um, some of what I've I seen not, thinks that maybe I used it is. to not. I used to not give a, you know care one bit about the moon phase. All right. Until last year, I'm not sure who our podcast guest was, but they started talking about, we talked about moon phase. So that, that weekend ended up following or falling on a, on uh, a moon phase where the morning activity, the moon was setting as the sun was coming up. All right. And that weekend I saw, uh, two shooter, two mature bucks. It was like October 17th or something this past, this past year. And I think I, you know, I showed you the video of that big nine pointer yeah. that I had, uh, an encounter with. And then another about 160, uh, inch 10 pointer. And then he was a six year or five year old. And the other one was, I think a, a five or six year old, two mature bucks on their feet in the mornings. Okay. And tons of, tons of doe activity and, but not a lot of evening movement. So, they 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 said you know when that when that sun is setting as the or when the either the sun's setting and the moon's coming up or the sun's rising and the moon's going down if you have those type of scenarios you're going to see an increased increased deer movement so I I made sure I was out for those and 
that theory, as far as from what I saw from the tree stand, backed it up. And that made me a little bit more of a believer as far as deer movement is concerned. Yeah, I think um, I, th- I think it was Terry Drury that talked to us about that. Yeah, um, could have been. That rings a bell to me. And I think, um, you know, me too, based on what he said and based on things I've, you know, read from a number of other guys and some other things I've been looking at, um, I'm more and more looking into that and trying to pay attention to it. And it might not be a huge difference, but if it's, you know, 10 extra minutes of daylight movement or something like that, you know, sometimes that can make the difference. Um, and so that's something I'm intrigued by too. Um, I think this year, like you did last year, I want to pay a little more attention to it, maybe take better notes about what I'm seeing and, and see how the moon phase is coinciding with that and see if I can't come up with some better, you know, observations and, um, conclusions based on that a little bit, but that's something that really takes years to figure out. But all that said, I think that there, there's something to it maybe when it comes to daylight movement, how much we might see or the intensity of that kind of stuff. But, you know, as we both said, I don't, I don't see how it could be impacting peak breeding. If science, if the biologist studies consistently, you know, show that it is not consistent with moon phase. So, but like you said earlier, those two things, you know, those two, you know, the scientific and the LaRoche uh, theories are, are two different things. Yes. Activity versus breeding. Yes. And that's the, that's the important thing for people to, I think, to, to take note of and to remember right. that they're talking about two different things. And so, so my personal opinion on the timing of the rut is that peak breeding is consistent, but the amount of daylight activity that we might see during, you know, while we're actually hunting, that can be impacted by the moon phase maybe, or most definitely some other factors like participation, temperature, um, even things like hunting pressure and things like that can all impact the amount of behavior rutting related activities that we, you know, all, um, you know, link with the rut. That stuff can be impacted by other things. I'm much more concerned about weather really personally when it comes to what kind of rut activity I'm hoping to see. Um, more so than moon phase. So that said, what about these other, I want to talk a little bit about these other factors that impact the timing or maybe not the timing of, but the amount of rutting behavior that we see. And for me personally, Dan, I think temperature and precipitation are the two biggest factors that I've seen that impact how much rutting activity I see. What about you? Right. You know, I don't know about precipitation, but I can tell you, the colder it is out there, deer, I, I feel that deer get, in a way, get uncomfortable just like humans do in some of this weather. And in a way, I, I, can, I can almost see them getting bored sitting in one spot, especially when there's the scent of a female in the air. And, you know, instead of, instead of this, um, instead of sitting down and, you know, just kind of waiting it out, they're going to feel more comfortable. They can, they can run and just, you know, be on their feet moving all day long, burn, you know, be more comfortable being more active because of the colder weather. And I mean, this year we saw it, we saw a pretty good, it, it's kind of hard because this November was brutal. We had a huge snow, you know, we had a lot of snow come through. We had extremely cold temperatures, way colder than normal. And, uh, you know, we, that happened like on the 8th or 9th of November in Iowa where I hunt. 
I mean, there was some good activity before then. Then that, then that, uh, that storm came, and I w- I'm not going to say it, it drastically increased the movement, but you know, I, we did see different deer in the area. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I think that it. I've, I'm sure you've seen it too. I think sometimes it does drastically increase movement. Yeah. Um, like for me, if I've got. You know, if I have the flexibility with my timing, like if I had a week of vacation, but I didn't need to book it two months ahead of time, I would almost wait until yep. the beginning of November and look at the forecast. And I would, I would, you know, no doubt about it. If you told me, all right, I will let you hunt five days, the five days when the best cold weather hits um, in November. I'm not going to tell you what those days are, but you can, you can take those five best cold front days or you can pick some other dates you know I, I would gladly blindly take whatever those best cold front days are in november because i think it makes that much of an impact on the movement that we see um like if you've got a good cold front hitting sometime in those first two weeks in november i would drop everything and anything you're doing and make sure you're in the woods because usually especially that first one you know that november 3rd or Maybe it's the 8th or maybe it's the 31st of October or whatever it is where when it goes from that little bit of, you know, you're starting to see some increased movement, but it's nothing crazy. And then all of a sudden the cold snap hits and then that's just when the, the, the shit hits the fan and it's like it's on. Yeah. You have to be in the woods on those days because um, that's when things get special. Yeah. No, I, I I agree with that. I just I just feel that we're as hunters – we may we may overthink some of this stuff. Okay, we're trying now. See, so far we've talked about weather, we've talked about moon, we've talked about time in the year, we've talked about you know when the breeding cycle is versus the moon phase versus this versus this. When, to be honest with you, I feel that the best intel is from being in the tree stand and running your trail cameras and making your own decision and your own hypothesis because, you know, these scientists aren't hunt, hunting your timber. You know, LaRoche and the other guy, they're not, they're not hunting your timber. And, True. you know, some, some years when I've had poor ruts, people have been talking how it was the greatest rut they've ever had. There's, there's, and you, you know, we preach this all the time. There's no, there's, there's no secret to killing big bucks. All right. There's no um, there's no equation that you can put in that will allow, you know, this plus this equals big bucks. What we what we do know is that the breeding season statistically takes place on the same time every year. And the events that lead up to that point and the events that are after that point are the best times to be in the timber. True story. And I think the for me. The, mo- the consistent thing is be in the woods as many days as you possibly can during that yep. window yep. For, for as many hours as you possibly can. If you have, you know, if you only have a few days, then looking at these other factors becomes important. You know, if you only can hunt four days, then you might want to try to be a little bit more particular about picking the right four days. And that's right. when I would start saying, okay, 
here's when, you know, this is the two weeks leading up to the peak of breeding. All right, so I'm going to look in that window. And then if you're a believer in the moon phase stuff, maybe you want to see what he's saying. Maybe not. It's up to what you believe. And then for sure, I'd be paying attention to the weather. And if I can, if I can land those four days related to some kind of weather event that should help pick things up, you know, then that could hopefully help you out. But then, like you said, Dan, there's there's so many other things. There's, you know, what's pers- what's happening on your, you know, specific property, which might be different than other places. There's, you know, herd dynamics can make a big difference in the amount of rutting activity that we see. You know, like a property Crops. like where you might hunt. Yeah, right, food Crops sources. Still in the field. Food sources yeah. make a big difference. If there's, you know, standing corn, that's going to change what you see. Lots of times people think that a lot of the daylight activity happens in the thick, you know, the corn st- corn where we can't see anything. Um, let's let's do this. Let's do this once. Mark Kenyon, you have four days to hunt. Okay. Let's talk about number one being the most important on down. What what are the decision the decision making? What's going to cause you to say I'm going to take these four days? So, for example, time of year, moon phase, uh, weather, and so on. So put 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 your your top whatever in order and you you don't have to sign up for your vacation days early you have four days to hunt all right so i'm going to say first i'm looking at the dates between november 1 and november 12 or november 13th somewhere on there and then i'm going to pick the four days where i get the cold snap so i'll probably pick the first big cold from the hits i want to be hunting the two to three days after that and then if there's another good cold snap maybe 10 days later maybe it warms up the next cold snap i want to be hunting those that day or the next day um really that's all i need to look at the moon phase is interesting to me barometer is kind of interesting to me um all the different things are, are interesting and I'm curious about them, and I think there might be something to them. But if all I had to look at were, were date, the time of the year, and the weather, the temperature, that's enough for me. Um, I guess the only other thing I would say is I do, I, you know, as I've talked about before in earlier episodes, at least in areas of high hunting pressure, a lot of the places I hunt, I do think light precipitation does increase deer movement, at least because you've got cloud cover and you've got maybe a little precipitation, and usually that's you know that coincides with a weather front, a temperature change, and a pressure change. And I think that's overall, whether it's that fact that there's rain, or it's the cloud cover, or it's the pressure change, or whatever it is, when a front comes through that has precipitation, not a huge storm necessarily, but some type of precipitation, I do think that helps. So for me, when I'm in that November time frame, I'm looking at the weather obsessively, and I'm hunting every day no matter what. You know, I'm going to be in the woods all day, every day during that period, assuming I can, you know, can make it work. Um, but I'm still paying attention to that weather because when I have that front hit where the temperature drops out and I get a little light rain, that is when I'm going to make sure I'm in my best spots. Um, you know, that's a big part of how I adjust my rut strategy. Of course, I'm taking into, you know, actual observations. That's going to affect where I hunt trail camera pictures. That's going to affect what I hunt, where I hunt. But I'm also, you know, being careful about when I hunt my best spots. Even if it's the best time of year, that first two weeks of November, if it's 75 degrees and it's November 3rd, should be a great day. But if it's 75, like you said, Dan, um, that's going to shut down a lot of the daylight movement. So I'm not necessarily wanting to go and blow out hunting a great doe bedding area. Um, so I'm going to be paying attention to precipitation and weather 
And on those best days, those four best days, like you, you know, asked me, those are the days where I'm going to go in early to my very best spots and I'm going to be in the woods all day. Right. If I had to pick four days without being a look at the weather, if you had, if you had me have to predict right now, what four days I wanted to hunt, if I couldn't know anything else except for just the dates, I would tell you, I want to be out there in the tree, November 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th, or maybe, maybe 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th. I'd say right around there between the, if I had to pick, it, it varies, of course, but right. make sure, you, you damn well better be in the tree from the 4th of November through like the 10th of November. That time just for me has been consistently great. And I think right. if I had to be somewhere in that time frame, that's what I'd do. So that's me. What about you? If you had to pick four days now, I'd be curious to hear what that would be. And then if you could be flexible and you could look at things, what would those criteria be? All right. So I'll just do the same thing that you did. All right. So obviously we're talking about the first, the first, uh, you know, first thing would be dates you know, based off, off of uh, the, the traditional breeding cycle type rut first two weeks in November, all right? So over the years, I'll tell you, I've seen a ton of good deer uh, somewhere around the 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th, up until um, uh, the 1st of November. There's, it's almost like there's an early movement. They're not chasing, they're up, and it's almost like they are they're making their territory boundaries, these bucks are. They're up working scrapes. They're up, you know, making sure they're going to all their traditional places that they've gone the years before, and they're letting every other animal know, every other deer in the area knowing, I am here. Okay? Then they go, you know, they go to their food sources. But they're, they're actually going out of their way to lay down scent on trees and on um, scrapes. Then what happens is, and this is from my experience, I see a little bit of a let off, probably from November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, somewhere in that area where there's, I, I'm, I hate the word lull, cause I'm, and I'm not, I'm not going to use it, but it slows down a little bit. And that's when you start seeing your, your one, twos, three-year-olds up in, 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 and I'm, I'm speaking on the properties that I hunt are up and moving. All right. And then that fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and, and, and further on, you start seeing the bigger, more mature deer. So with that said, if I could hunt four days, I would probably lean towards the eighth, ninth, 10th, and 11th of November traditional, like, based off what I've seen from the tree and, and focus on, on those days. Now, granted, if, if weather came through, I would, I would want to try to be in the timber right before the cold front hits and after the cold front hits. So that, that evening, let's say a storm front is, is moving in the distance or overnight one's, one's coming and you got to be in the timber 24 hours before it hits and then the whole 24 hours after. That's just when I've seen the deer on their feet. They're feeding aggressively to prepare for, you know, what, you know, these deer, they sit on their bellies if it, the weather's bad. Like if it's raining or if it's snowing heavy, they're, 
they're hunkered down and they just don't move. So that's why they, they feed on before that. And on the rut, that's when you're going to see if, if the weather coincides with those four days that I just talked about, you're going to see the big boys start following the does to the food sources. Or they're ahead of them and they're scent checking them downwind. And that is that is what I am going to base my base my four days on. All right. I like it. That all makes a lot of sense. I'm going to take it one step further. Okay. I want you to predict your date this coming year of the best running activity you're going to see. This is, of course, we can't accurately do this, but I just want to throw this out. Tell me what is your prediction for the best day of the rut for you this coming season. Give me a date. Well, it's not going to be November 6th, 7th, or 8th because I'll be at my brother's wedding. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to be sweating like a heroin addict who's going through rehab. And I'm like, going to be tweet or texting you the entire time with pictures and updates from what's happening in the stand. Right, right. It's almost cruel. Like, I, I don't know how I'm going to act. I'll probably, my wife's going to hate me because I'll be like, let's go. Come on, let's go. I got to I gotta go. I got to go. We got to go. I might even try to find a place to hunt up there. <laughs> now, are you, are you still going to stay out and have a good time that night after the wedding, or are you going to get home early so you can hunt early the next morning? Well, it's, uh, the wedding is six hours away from where I hunt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so bullet to my brain, okay? But I feel that, you know, although I, I said that, I, I almost said that the, the LaRoche magic bean approach, you know, versus the, the scientific approach, I've seen consistency in what they've said. Just like you, you know, just like you, I've seen, I've seen some kind of consistency. So whether, whether they're, it's just a guess and it's magically, you know, aligning, Hey man, it's aligning. So I'm going to say that my best four days of hunting this year, or that's what you wanted four days, right? I wanted one day. One day. Okay. is going to be my birthday, November 5th. All right. I like it. I'm going to predict my date will be November 7th. November 7th. November so 7th. So while I'm while I'm in at a wedding eating green bean casserole. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be in a tree stand drawing back on a giant. Mm-hmm. What now? You got to tell me what state is he, you're hunting multiple states. So what state? Yeah, so that's still a little bit up in the air, but I think I think I'm going to be in Iowa at that time. Okay. I think I, it's kind of tricky. I think I'm going to be in Iowa the first part of November. So like October 31st through the 7th, maybe, or the 6th, 6th or 7th. It's going to be right around that okay. time frame. And then the next day go to Ohio and hunt there from like the 8th to the 15th um, or somewhere around there. It's that, that, so it could be, it could be either state. I'm not sure. It depends on, depends on how everything works out. But And I just want to let everybody know that, I don't just get a, like, I don't get aggressive. And I don't, my opinion is I don't think our listeners should either. Granted, everybody has, and we say this all the time, everybody has different situations that they're in, right? But I, I plan, I, I like to, 
align myself where I could potentially kill a, a, a mature buck every hunt I go on. Now, there are hunts where if my trail cameras and my intel are not showing that the chances of me running into a mature buck are high, I'm going to go hunt somewhere else and try to kill a doe. But if I'm show, showing a deer crossing this area at a certain time or walking in front of a trail camera at a certain time or I see him from an observation stand at a certain time, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go in and make a move. And if that's October 1st or if that's November 5th, I'm going to do it. Yeah. There's something to be said about that. I think it's sort of related to or somewhat to something you mentioned earlier in the show when you mentioned that late October time frame. I just want to speak right. about that time frame um, just because you got me thinking about it just now. Um, but to your point, Dan, if, the, if you have the intel – and especially if you know that a mature that a buck that you're targeting is in an area that he calls this area his core home range somewhere in that you know he's on your property to some degree consistently, and then especially if you have some kind of intel like you said Dan that indicates that he's moving in daylight during that late October time period, that is possibly the best time in my opinion to kill a specific buck because right. because at that time just like you said earlier. These deer start moving a little more during daylight. They start, you know, checking out scrapes. They start checking out the does to a degree. They're not, you know, they're not chasing does yet for the most part. They're not, you know, ranging all over the place, you know, going to far-reaching areas yet. They're still hanging out in their core area. They're just moving a little bit more during daylight. The rut's just starting to get them feeling a little bit up and ante. So at that time frame, in my opinion, you got to strike if you know that the iron's hot because if you don't, if you wait to go into there until November 5th or 8th or whatever, they might be chasing does a mile away or something. You know, at that point, all the patterns are out the window to most, you know, for the most part. Um, so for me, if, if I get to that last week in October and if I have got that information, have got some intel that indicates he could be, you know, he's consistently in the area. And then for me, really, the kicker, again, as, I, as it always is for me, if I get a cold front that hits, boom, I'm going in there after him because I think um, that's a dynamite time to, to do one of those, what I kind of, what I heard from someone I now like to say is this drone strike type hunt where you get all the information, you get all the intel, and then you strike hard and fast right when you think the going's good. So that's not really related to rut prediction theories, but that's an important thing to remember is that the best hunting, not not always is going to be those two weeks in November. Sometimes it can be leading up to it. But, you know, and that's the pre-rut, which in my opinion is part of the rut. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I almost I almost think of it as, do you remember in grade school you had these chemicals that were in like a, a rectangular case and they're just different layers and, and they layered because they had different um, a different molecular structure. And if you shake it up, and then they would slowly go back to seeing layers again. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like oil and water, right? Yeah, oil and water, right. Yep. So I almost think of it like like that, all right? You have oil and water, and that's, for the most part, all of October, right? You can pattern a deer pretty easy um, if you had the right utensils and had the time to do so. Then, the, then, like, the beginning of the rut hits, right? And you shake it up. And it's it's complete chaos in the woods. Bucks are, are jockeying for dominance. Does are 
in somewhat still of a pattern, but are affected by this this new pressure from these deer, from these bucks going crazy in the woods, then you know a hierarchy is reached. Bucks start knowing who, you know, this you know Fred versus Joe versus Randy. You know, they know who who who's who. They know who's dominant, and then it all kind of settles down again. And the big bucks get their does. They go do what they do. And then the you know there's there's a there's kind of the chaos lessens, in my opinion, and and it lessens although there's a lot of activity running around and stuff, there's still some there's less chaos towards towards that that end of that second week of November. I don't know if that makes sense. In my head, it did, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how most things are for you, Dan. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I I hear what you're saying. I think um, another important thing to note, um, you know, because I, I think to your point, you know, based on some of the data we've been talking about, a lot of that breeding, at least in the areas that we hunt, is happening during the middle of November. And mm -hmm. so there's going to be a little bit of a letdown in regards to the the running around chaos because there's a lot more bucks paired up with does breeding. But I think another um, slightly less heralded time of the year for success especially on big mature bucks is a week week and a half after that period um that yes. i've just started to you know see some some increased activity being that you know november 22nd 25th 27th um you know from what i've heard from people you know with more experience than me and from what i've seen too is especially the mature the really mature bucks they tend to get back up on their feet after they did a lot of their breeding in the middle of november they tend to get back up one more time and, and cruise a little bit more towards that last period of time because they know there's going to be another doe or two that still would be receptive. Um, so I've had some some good activity and I've seen I've had some good encounters. I had an encounter with Jawbreaker two years ago on November 25th, I think, um, at one or two o'clock in the afternoon um, during that time period. So it's definitely worth getting back out there and hunting that late November period because you can still see some of that cruising activity. Um, so something to keep in mind as well. And, and so what we've discussed today is a four week period. Yep. <laughs> okay. And, and, and guys out there, you know, especially from, you know, the nine finger chronicles talking to people and I'm, you know, talking through the, the wired to hunt, um, podcast. And I'm sure, you know, guys don't have four weeks vacation. Guys don't have three weeks vacation. Guys barely have two weeks of vacation. You know, the guys I talk to, hey, I got five days of vacation I can use for hunting. The rest go to the family or I don't get anything else. So it's, it's so hard to tell. You're, the listeners right now, have, you have got to do your research. Watch, that, watch those weather patterns and know if you're in the Midwest, you know, because we didn't even talk about the South. And yeah. I don't feel comfortable talking about the South because I've never hunted to the South. And they have they have a rut, what's like December and January? It, it's it's regional from everything I understand. It, it's right. different in different areas, and there's all sorts of crazy stuff. So, yeah, I, I'm sorry to everyone in the southern parts of the country that me and Dan can't give you any more helpful information. But I can say that the LaRoche and Elsheimer do offer some thoughts on that. Um, so check out their their calendar. They I would say the bit. principles are the same, though. You know, yes and no, though, um, because like there's from what I'm reading and stuff, there it's not necessarily 
consistent. Like they don't, there's not a consistent peak breeding in most or in all areas down there at least. Um, I, but I can't speak to it. I don't even understand it myself well enough. But there is some literature out there. There are a number of articles I've read. So go out there and do some Googling. Um, and you can probably hear from someone who knows more than me. But it's right. a whole nother, whole nother issue. Watch so. the time of the year. Watch the weather. If you believe in the moon, watch the moon and make your move. Yeah. Yeah, I think if, it, if, if anything else... Or if nothing else, spend as many hours in the tree as you possibly can during you know during November in the last week of October. In my opinion, if you've got the vacation time, if you can pull it off, be in the tree. Um, if I had to pick a time, you know, we already talked about those days. If I had to pick a date, if I had to narrow it down, I'd say give me the first two weeks of November. Um, but it's different everywhere. There's lots of factors. But uh, like you said, Dan, you gotta pay attention to the weather. Do the best you can and uh, put your butt in the tree. And if you're like, if you're like Dan, hunting all day is a tough thing to do, but try to do it because I think it does. It can help, especially when we sit here and we dream about hunting all day or all year in February and April and June and August. When the rut's on, spend as much time as you possibly can be out there because I know that in February you were dreaming of being in that tree stand. So take advantage yeah. of the time when you got it. Yeah, buddy. I mean, and it just hit me. It's just like, oh, my God. If you're a hardcore like we are, just a, just I, I really wish I had a stopwatch for every time I did something hunting-related or thought about something hunting-related, how much actual time that I consume doing this. It's crazy. And we don't want to document that because our wives would not be happy. Yeah, I'm glad my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I, For a while, I had my wife help me edit these podcasts, and I, I shut that down real quick when she started hearing what we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, I'm stoked. I am every, every episode we say it, but I'm just getting more and more excited, and uh, well, it's going to be here before we know it. Right. I mean, I have to, like... I have to stair step myself, myself, right? Because I, I just took my bow to the shop because my kisser button flew off, and now my peep sight's been rotating in my string. All right, so that sucks, and I got to get all that set up again. Got my arrows fletched. All right, I, I have a target set up in my backyard now. I can shoot up to like 40 yards, and then I have to move it to shoot up to 60. And uh, and you know I'm getting in shape for our, our mule deer hunt. And I'm checking trail cameras for whitetails, you know. So I got a week planned in September for me and you to go up into uh, Idaho mountains and chase some muleys. Mm-hmm. And then we got, I, I'm going to have like a vacation, a wedding, and a vacation for hunting. And it's going it, to, it's, it's, it's kind of a blessing in disguise. Because that second, at the beginning of that second week, you know how exhausted we are? It's the grind. The grind hits you. And it's just like, oh, my God, why am I doing this to myself, you know? And then you see a big mm-hmm. buck and it makes it all better. Yeah. But I think that might actually help me yeah. until I go check my trail cameras and there's a giant standing in front of my tree stand at 40 yards while I'm giving a best man speech. <laughs> that, will be, be that will be brutal. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, 
hopefully you'll uh you'll kill a big one just before or just after that and uh maybe uh maybe i will too could be a good year for back us. to back years for mark Kenyon. i hope so we'll see i'm i'm hoping for two this year i want to get one down in iowa and ohio that's my goal so that's your goal that's my goal well, well i think luck, uh yeah thank you I think it's time to shut this down, though, because I've got the new uh, Whitetail Madness DVD in an ice-cold beer with my name on it waiting for me. So I'm going to say uh, let's close up shop, end this episode. I think it's episode 61. Um, so with that said, a couple updates. Again, we mentioned it last week, but FYI, Wired Hunt decals are now available for sale at wiredhunt.com shop. Check those out. They're pretty cool. If you haven't left a review yet for the podcast and you have some thoughts and feedback on it, we would love to hear from you. You can do that on iTunes or feel free to tweet us. Um, you know, my Twitter handle is at Wired Hunt. Uh, Dan's is, what's your Twitter handle again? Uh, Fort Worth Nine Fingers. There you go. Hit us up on Twitter. We love hearing from you there or on Facebook. Um, when I post this podcast blog on our Facebook page, Wired, or Facebook.com slash Wired Hunt, I want to hear your predictions for the best four days of the rut. So I'll ask that question on Facebook. We want to hear from you. Give us your predicted best four days for the 2015 rut. We'd be interested to see if they match up at all with what me and Dan said. So that all said, before we shut things down, we have to thank our partners who helped make this podcast possible. So big thank you to Sika Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Lacrosse Boots, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. Thank you to them, and thank you for supporting those companies who help make the Wired Hunt possible, the Wired Hunt podcast possible. And finally, thank you guys and girls all for joining us. Hope you're as excited as me and Dan are about the rut. And uh, you know, like Dan said, there's lots of work to do. So get out there, get ready, and of course, as always, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.